0: Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. You'll have to excuse some of the y'alls and the furs and the things like that. I'm from Arkansas, and so we like to draw out certain words and then smash together other words. Um, and so we talk slow sometimes and really fast sometimes. You just kind of have to go with me. It's kind of like a roller coaster. Uh, but our family uh, just moved here uh, in July uh, of just a couple months ago to start a brand new church. So you guys, uh, m- m- many of you guys have probably been part of this thing for quite a while. Well, New Life, I, I think, is a little over two years old. Is that, is that right? Yeah, two years old. And so we're just about to get started. So those of you who know what that's like, pray for us because you know, you, know, you know what we're in for. But our family moved here to start a brand new church in uh, East Wichita. And we love this city. We love this area. Um, we felt like God specifically called us here from Arkansas. Um, and so we packed up our bags, moved our families here, got our kids in the school and we're here. Uh, and man, we've loved it. You know, people always talk about Southern hospitality and you, you get that. Like you go to a restaurant and the, the waitresses always call you ma'am or not ma'am, sorry, babe or sugar or honey, you know, and they touch you, you know, like I'll get that for you sugar. And you're not sure whether to be like, Hey, back off or like, it's okay. Um, cause you just got that Southern hospitality. Well, and so you came here and you don't know what to expect. It's the Midwest. It's a little bit different. Um, But the difference that I found in Southern hospitality and Midwestern hospitality, people are really nice. Like we pull up to four-way stop signs and we've had people wave us on even though we're there second. Like, go ahead. It's okay. I'm not in a hurry. So that's been awesome. Uh, We kind of feel like at home. But uh, in Southern hospitality, people are really nice to you up front and and when they see you at a restaurant or a church or something like that. But then when you get to your house, everyone's got a shotgun leaning up against their door. Like it's their kingdom, this is my home, don't come hang out, don't come knock on my door. I'm nice at the restaurant, I'm nice at church, but once I get home, this is mine. They shut the doors, shut the blinds, and they do their thing. We got here, we moved into a neighborhood, everyone's got their garage doors open, people are sitting outside talking, kids are running back and forth, and so I, I, I kind of am starting to believe that Midwesterners are the really actually nice, hospitable people. Uh, Southern is kind of a front, like they, they treat you like they're your friend, but you better don't knock on their door at night. Uh, you can be greeted with a, with a gun. Um, so just a little bit different, but man, our family uh, has, has really enjoyed living here. Uh, man, so many great people. met some of you this morning, and so we're just excited to be here. And, and Pastor Chad was one of the first people we met uh, when we came to town. Um, someone, someone posted a, a thread that said, hey, I want to, like, is there any new church planners? And I didn't know this person. They tagged me in it, and then Pastor Chad sent me a private message. It was like, hey, if you're new to town, I'd love to buy your coffee. And we've just been here a couple weeks. He took me to, to, to Starbucks, and we had some coffee, and he just encouraged me as a new pastor to town, uh, helped me kind of know the city a little bit better. And so you guys got a great pastor, um, Pastor Chad. You guys got a, a great man that's leading you guys, that loves you guys, talked very highly about your church and the people here and the quality of people and what you guys are doing, like the project laundry. He was so excited to tell me about just the things that you guys are doing that are practical, that are reaching people, that are loving people, and showing, showing that this church really does care about this city. And so I just want to brag on you guys a little bit. You guys got a great church, a great pastor. So I'm honored to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, and so we're going to, uh, Pastor Chad told me the series Christian Confusion. He told me, he's like, hey, I want you to share on the prodigal son, which is one of my favorite stories in Luke. Um, and so if you got a Bible, we're in Luke chapter 15, uh, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read quite a few scriptures out of this today. Um, if that's okay, is it okay if we read some scripture in church today? I think that should be a good thing, okay? Um, but let me just do a little recap while you're turning to Luke 15. Um, Christian, and the reason that we're using this phrase, Christian confusion, um, is that when you say the word Christian, it means so many different things to so many different people. When you say that out loud in society, if you, if you, especially if you've ever been on social media or Facebook, the type of things that some Christians say can sometimes shock you, The way that people act as Christians can be shocking. And so I I don't know if you're anything like me, but there's been times that I've like embraced it. Like, man, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. Like I believe in God's word and I believe that Jesus came and he did a work for me. Then there's other times that when they say, well, that person's a Christian, I kind of want to get away from that person because I don't want to be known the same way that they're known. Anyone ever experienced that? Someone just, they feel like they mislabel you. Like the term Christian doesn't necessarily always align with me, especially with social media and politics. And so that's the idea of this series It's like, what is Christian confusion? This word Christian means so many different things to so many different people. So what, do, what are we really looking at? And what does it really mean to be someone who follows Christ? And so the big word uh, that, that we've been hinging on in this series is disciple. That's really what we want to be known as, someone who's following Christ, not just a label, not just a name, not just a category, not just a belief system or a political party. We're going to be known as someone who's following Christ. And in fact, uh, the disciples said, hey, what do we need to do to make sure that we're in heaven? What do we need to do to make sure that we're following you? And this is what Jesus told them. He said, take up your cross daily. So he told them, it's going to be a sacrifice. You're going to have to follow my word. And sometimes it may even be difficult to do that. It's not always easy, but you've got to follow me. And the reason Christ told him to take up the cross, because that's what he did. So we're, we're, we're required by Christ to follow him in his footsteps. And so that's the better word for us as disciple as we kind of look into this. And so uh, Luke chapter 15, let's just jump right into that. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Um, this is kind of a setup. So there's a conversation here, and we'll just jump right into this. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners. That's one category of people. That's, that's one uh, part of this audience here. The tax collectors and sinners. We're all drawing near towards Jesus. And then it goes on and says this in verse 2. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So in, this, in this, this story, before we even jump into the prodigal son, I think it's important to recognize who Jesus is talking to. There's a great story here, but you really won't hear what Jesus is trying to say when he shares this parable if you don't recognize who it is he's talking to. And so there's two, two, two audiences in this one crowd. And so in the crowd, you've got the unrighteous, which are the tax collectors. They're the sinners, these these people. And, and Pastor Chad talked about tax collectors last week. So if, you haven't, uh, if you're not real sure what the stance on tax collectors, listen to last week's podcast and message. He really broke that down. But tax collectors were hated. They weren't, they weren't viewed as very righteous people. So you have the unrighteous. And then you have the Pharisees and the scribes. You have the self-righteous. So Jesus so masterfully tells a parable tells a story that affects and talks to and ministers to and, and challenges both of the audiences. And, and only a, a masterful storyteller like Jesus can do that off the, off the hip. Most of us would have to like talk to this category and be like, okay, now I'll talk to you. Now I'll come over here and talk to you guys. But Jesus tells this story that we're going to look at today where he's talking to this crowd, but it's got two different audiences. And that's going to be important as we look in this. Um, so the, the first two, he tells three parables, and he tells two really short ones and one long one. The first, the, the, the two short ones, he tells us a short parable about the parable of the lost sheep. Talks about, uh, maybe you sing the song, Reckless Love, where Jesus leaves the, the shepherd, leaves the 99 to go pursue the one, and that's pulled from this parable, um, where Jesus, there's 99 sheep, and they're all doing good, but one's missing, and he, he says, wouldn't a shepherd, a good shepherd, leave the 99 to go get the one? And he says, when they get the one, what happens? He comes back, he calls all the friends and family and neighbors and say, hey, I found my sheep, and they throw a party, and they celebrate because that that sheep has value, that sheep has worth. Just because you have 99 doesn't mean the one doesn't have value. So he tells this story, and they all have a party, and he says, how much more would heaven celebrate if one sinner comes to Christ? So then he goes on and tells another parable about the lost coin. And paints a little bit different picture and says that there's a, a woman that's got uh, 10 coins and she loses one. And she knows she lost it in her house and so she, she spent, stays up all night. She lights a lamp and she sweeps and she cleans until she finds the coin. And then the end of the story is the exact same. She goes out and she tells all her friends and neighbors and they celebrate and they have a party. And, and he goes, how much, how much more does, does God in heaven and do, do they celebrate when one that's lost was found? And so we get this picture right at the beginning. Jesus is making it very, very, very clear that, that makes it very clear to this crowd that, he, that his perspective of sinners, how he views these people. So he tells these two stories and this is what Jesus is saying. He says, they may be lost, but they're worth my effort. They may be bad, they may be uh, unrighteous, that you may be looking at them and going, they're the worst of the worst, but what he's saying is they're important to me, they're important to heaven. And if just one of them comes over, it's worth it. If just one of them responds to the gospel, if just one of them responds to my love, it's totally worth it. So he's painting this picture that these people are important. You call them uh, unrighteous, but I say they're important I, and they're worth my effort. So he paints this picture that I think is so, and then he says, even heaven celebrates a party uh, just if one comes to Christ. So then we're gonna jump down to verse 11 and kind of paraphrase those. So now we're gonna jump into the prodigal son. So this, this story, this parable Goes a little bit longer. The first two, just a couple of verses. And then this one, Jesus really takes some time because now he's about to really hit both audiences. He set the first audience, the unrighteous, they're worth it. They're worth my effort. They're worth the work that I'm doing here on this earth. But then he goes into this. So it says in verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. This man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he, he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So let me give you guys a little bit of insight just in some of, uh, some of the biblical context here. Uh, in Middle Eastern culture, um, the father, anything that the father had, anything that, that, the, that the family had, the inheritance would go to the son's. And you even see this all the way back in the Old Testament with Jacob and Esau. But the older brother is the one that's supposed to get the majority of the inheritance. He's supposed to get two-thirds. And then the younger brother is supposed to get one-third. But that inheritance is only supposed to pass down once the father dies. So the inheritance, it's all just part of the family. It's the property. It's not, it's not money. It's, you're not, it's not a big bank account that he's about to go empty out. Uh, back then, if you were wealthy, you had things. So it was oxen and lamb and cattle, it was property and employees and and houses and and different things and and a business more than likely. And so when the son goes up to a father and says, hey, I I want this, I I want this, in fact, the the word property right here in Greek, the the Greek word is bios, that word means life. And so when when the son comes and asks the father for property, what he's asking is, father, I want your life what you've worked so hard to establish, what, what our whole family has invested into, just give me my piece and I'm gonna get out. And, and the, the irony of that is if the son is younger, if it's a younger brother, even if he's in his 30s or 40s, he hasn't done enough to really deserve what he's about to get. The father and maybe his father before him and maybe his father before him are what really built this capital. They're what built this, 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 uh, this state. And so when the son says, I want mine and I wanna get out, you have to understand, that was a very hurtful thing to say. In fact, one commentary, one theologian, he said this, to ask for the inheritance while the father is still alive is to wish him dead. To ask for the inheritance while the father's still alive is basically to say, hey, I wish you were dead. And this is kind of my paraphrase of this. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I mean, think about that as a son coming to a father, how hurtful that was, how disrespectful that was. That's not how it's supposed to work. In Middle Eastern in culture, this would have been viewed as very disrespectful. In fact, the father probably could have kicked the son out of the family altogether for even bringing that up. But what does the father do in the story? The father gives the son his inheritance. The father goes ahead and, and probably becomes the talk of the town of a weak father and didn't stand up for Middle Eastern culture, and that's not how dads are supposed to act, and that son is spoiled, and he should have been shown, like he should have been put in his place, but that's not what the father does here. It says the father gives him an inheritance. It says the son takes a few days before he leaves. Why? Because he's got to sell everything. So because it's not money, remember? It's the the inheritance is stuff. So imagine the father sitting there watching his son just sell away everything that he had worked so hard for. There's the three sheep, and there's that one house, and there's that 100 acres right there. And his son's just auctioning it off for cash, he's just getting as much money as he can get out of it as quick as he can, because he's about to get out of town. And so the father, he's sitting there, he's watching this, and this, is, this gives us a great picture of God's love towards us. You see, the father, he endured the, agony, the, he endured the agony of rejected love. The father loved him so much, yet the son says, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. I mean, just so hurtful. The son did everything he wanted. He grabbed the stuff, and if you read the story and we'll go through it, he says that he spent the money and he lived lavishly, and his brother even said that he went and spent time with whores and did other things, prostitutes, and did all kinds of crazy stuff and went and lived this crazy life. And he went out there and just did anything he wanted to do, anything that he thought was right. He pursued the pleasures of now without the thoughts of what his future may look like. And he spent and squandered all of the money. And so I want to give you just a little bit of picture of the younger brother. So we've got this younger brother, and there's a couple of phrases here. So younger brother, we know he's the unrighteous. That's who he represents in the story. So Jesus, remember, he's talking to two different audiences, the unrighteous and the self-righteous. So younger brother, he's unrighteous. He, he did something that is not correct with culture. He did something that was disrespectful to his father, and then he went out and lived a crazy life. He, he was wayward. He, he went all off. And then moral rel- relativity, this is, this is a phrase in that. I want to explain this to you a little bit because I think this is very uh, pertinent to today's culture. Moral relativity is this thought. It's this thought that I'm going to do and what is right and wrong is determined by how I feel about that thing. Moral relativity means I decide what is right and wrong based off of how I feel. And so that's what the son dove into. He said, hey, I know what I've been taught. I know what the father says. I know what our culture says. I don't care because I feel like I want to do this. And so son goes and he lives this moral relativity. It's his belief system. He adapts this belief system. It says, if I like it, if it feels good to me, then it's good to do. So he adapts this. And then uh, he gets this very open-minded perspective and is living this life that no, probably not a lot of people around him are living. His older brother stays. We know that in the story. And so he goes and does this thing. And then he's disobedient to a father. And here's the last thing. He was lost. He was lost. We know that because and the stories right before that, Jesus tells us that there was uh, 99 and there's the one, and then there's the lo- 10 coins, and then there's the one that's lost. This younger brother is lost. And so in verse 14, let's, let's jump back into the story. It says, and when he had spent everything, doesn't tell us how long that took, maybe a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe a couple years. It says a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So for the first time ever, probably, if his father had an inheritance and hadn't established an estate, the son felt need. He stepped out away from the father, stepped out away from the family, stepped out away from the home, and all of a sudden he's, he's wrecked with this thought that I, there's things that I need that I don't have. And the story tells us a little bit about what that looked like for him. So it says that he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. So he goes, he drops down so far that, that he's now working with pigs and, and feeding pigs. And it says that he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. He was so hungry that what the pigs ate, he thought, I, I, can I eat some of that? I can imagine even when the owners or the, the masters of the pigs and were stepping away, him like even trying it and like dabbling in it. That's how hungry he was. He had gone to rock bottom. And then it says this, and no one gave him Anything. See, the self-righteous crowd, if you go back to the, the beginning of this, and remember, there's two crowds, There's one crowd, two audiences. The self-righteous crowd, I guarantee you, they're sitting there with their arms crossed going, he got what he deserved. He, 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 he went up to his father was disrespectful. He asked for his inheritance they squandered it. And now he's, he's eating with the pigs and he has no one in his life and he's out there all on his own and the righteous people, the self-righteous people are going, that's exactly what he deserved. You know, and they're sitting back, and I'm sure they're like, "Amen and Jesus, right there." You know, Jesus is telling the story, like, "Hey, preach it good, brother." He's preaching good right there. That's exactly what that boy deserves. He, some people gotta learn the hard way. Any DC Talk fans? Some people gotta learn the hard way. I oh, know, just me. Um, you know, and so they're 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 like, "Hey, that's what he deserved." You know, he did it. That was his choice, his decisions, his actions, the direction that he chose with his life. That's what he gets. And then the very end of this says that there was no one there. So for the first time in his life, he, he was in need. And for the first time in his life, he was all alone. I guarantee you when he had all that money and he was hosting the parties and he had the, the upper, the, uh, the, 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 what do they call that, the, tall, the, the upper room in like a big hotel or something, the suite, the penthouse suite, and he was hosting the parties and had all the drinks and had all the food. and had all the way. I guarantee you there was friends everywhere. Now he has nothing And it says there was no one. And it's ironic how that works. When we're at our lowest, when when things hit us and we're struggling in life, oftentimes we feel very alone. We feel very isolated. And here he is, that's exactly how he's feeling. But then verse 17 says this. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he took an account. What does that mean, he came to himself? He took an account of where he was. He looked around, imagine he was, he was standing in, in the pig slop and pigs around him bumping up against them. And if you've ever been around very many pigs, they're rough and they're nasty. They stink. And he's looking around going, where am I at? How did I get here? I'm sure he's backtracking and going, man, I, I should have saved a little bit of money. I should have like not spent this or maybe that decision or that thing I did with that one person They told me they were going to invest my money. We're going to do all this. And all of a sudden now there's nothing. And I'm sure he's backtracking and regretting many decisions that he had made to let him to this point. And as he's backtracking, he backs up all the way back and remembers where it all began. When I looked at my father and said, I don't want you. I want your stuff. So he's there and he came to himself. And I think sometimes we got to do this. I think sometimes when when we're in a place that we don't want to be and we're in a place where like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that or I wish I wouldn't be here. I don't know how to get out of this. Sometimes I think we gotta do the same things. We gotta come to ourself and just go, self, everyone say self. Self, self? okay, so everyone say self. self. I've gotten into a mess, into a mess. And, I and I know how to get out. See, that's where he came to the realization. He, he came to this realization that I know how I got here. I'm in a mess. He came to himself. I know why I'm here. I know how I got here. It wasn't by accident. Maybe it wasn't all my choice. Maybe some other people made some choices for me. And that happens sometimes in life where other people's choices put us with the pigs. But regardless, we're here now and we can look back and say I know how I got here, but I also know how to get out. He came to himself. And he said, "How many of my my, my father's hired servants?" It goes back into the story. "How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger?" Verse 18, I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned. So now he's rehearsing. What am I gonna say to my dad? So if I do, if I come up out of these pigs and I do make that, that shameful walk back to my dad, what am I gonna say? He's rehearsing it. He, remember, he came to himself. He's talking to himself right here. Anyone ever do that? You rehearse, like, how am I gonna get out of this situation? Maybe you gotta apologize to your wife, husbands. Um, you know, maybe wives, you don't ever have to apologize to your husbands because you guys always do everything right. It's always us, that are in a doghouse somehow. Um, but, you, you know, you're talking to yourself and, and you're, you're rehearsing, like, how am I gonna get out of this? And you're rehearsing, what do I gotta do? What do I gotta say? And that's what he's doing. He goes, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then he rose and he started heading towards his father. He came to his father. So this is what he did. He made a plan. And this was his plan. It was really simple. I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to work to pay off my debt. He said, treat me as one of your hired servants. I don't even need to be your son again. That was his his idea. That's that's how he was approaching the father. I don't even, I I, I understand you can't forgive me for the act I caused against you, but just let me work in the house. Just let me be one of your servants because at least I'll have food. At least i have shelter. At least I'll have a, a livelihood as I move forward with my life. So his plan was: I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and, I, and then I'm going to just just work it off. I'm going to pay off my debt. And there's four confessions here, and I just this is not really the whole sermon, but I'm just going to drop this in here. There's four confessions in that in that statement when the son was speaking to himself that I think are important for us today. His first one was: I'm a sinner. He he recognized. He said, "Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven." He recognized and faced his reality. He recognized that his current condition was his choices and they were against God and they were against his father. And so he, his first confession was, I'm a sinner. The second one was, I'm not worthy. He said, I'm not even worthy to be your servant. I'm not even worthy to be in your household. He recognized that he, had, he, had came, he, recognized that, that he was broken. And he had a broken spirit. And I think that's, that's something uh, that God requires of us to approach him. Then he said this, everyone in the household is cared for us. So this is the third promise or confession. My father is good. He knows that even the servants are better off than he is. That's a good father. That even the people that are low are taken care of. Even the people that, that aren't the family, or they're, they're just in, in proximity to the family. They're better taken care of than us. That's a good father. Then the fourth confession, I can't repay my debt. There's nothing that I can do to make this right. That's the approach. That's his attitude. That was the confessions. And so that's how he approached the father on his way there. But then I love this. Verse 20 says this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his father saw him and felt. His father saw him and felt. What do you think the father felt? I, I guarantee, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how Jesus told the story, but I can imagine him pausing right here. And given those self-righteous people another opportunity to go, I know what he's about to say. The father saw him and felt anger. He saw him and was like, there's that, no good, you know, whatever else he said towards his son. Maybe he saw him and felt shame and went, he brought so much shame on our family. And our family now is hurting and in pain and where the people talk about us. We can't walk into a restaurant or to a place because they look at us, and they, they look at, and maybe, maybe you've experienced this with your own kids or your own family members, and you go, there's that guy, and I know what his kids are doing, or I know what his family's doing, or I know what, and, and he felt shame. No, it's not what it said. Maybe he felt discouraged. He, he saw him and was like, he's back. I, I don't know what to do with this kid. I don't, like, what's he, what's he going to want? and so i imagine jesus leaving that kind of hanging he said the father saw him from long ways off and he felt compassion that's what the scripture tells us verse 20 but when he was still a long ways off the father saw him and he felt compassion and then it says this that he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him and his son said to him, Father, here's the, the speech. Remember, I rehearsed the speech. I'm here. My dad's right here. And he's embraced me. He's loved me. He's kissed me. But I, I got to get this out. I got I to make things right with my dad. And so he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he starts going into the last part. If you remember, he says the last part that the son was going to say was treat me as one of your hired servants. But he doesn't get to that part in his speech. The father cuts him off. He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer that we, we called your son. And the father said, stop. And he said this. He said, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, which would have been the father's robe, would have been his robe. He says, bring my robe, put it on my son. He says, put the ring on his hand. Well, the ring was a signet. It was, a, it was how they would buy things, and it had a seal on it. And when they'd go to town, they would, if they were buying things, they would press that into wax, and that's how they would know to, to build the father, to build the inheritance, to build that estate. And so that sign was a sign of sonship. Only the, the kids and the, the family would have that ring. He says, immediately, you're back in. Immediately, you're my son again. Immediately, put that ring on his hand. And then he says, uh, put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And so here they are. They're, they're getting ready to fire up the Traeger and smoke some beef ribs. And uh, it's going to be a great diet day. And uh, it's one of the, the first times barbecue is mentioned in there. And so in the Bible... Um, he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this is my son who is dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. See, the father, he was, it says that he saw him a long ways off. He saw him a long ways off. You don't see your son a long ways off if you're inside working and, and about your business. What this tells us was that the father was looking for the son, That's how grace works. God is sitting there and he's looking. He's not frustrated. He's not ashamed. He's not discouraged. He's not angry at you for the things that you've done or the places that you've gone or the decisions that you've made. And you may recognize and say, I'm a sinner and and I've I've fallen short of God and and there's things that I know I shouldn't be doing and things I shouldn't be saying or things I shouldn't be watching. And you feel like you got to get something right before you approach the Father. But this son came dirty, covered in mud and covered in pig stuff. And he approached the son without shoes on his feet, without a jacket on, not dressed properly, smelling disgusting. And the father says he ran to him. He saw him. He ran to him. He embraced him, pig stuff and all, kissed him. And then he immediately became a son again. He immediately restored his sonship. And that's how good God is to us. God, I think sometimes we think like we got to, then in the son, just like the son, I got to go and I'm going to work it off. I'm going to say, Father, this is what I've done. I've messed up. And then I'm going to come here and I'll just let me be your servant. I'm going to work to pay off my debt. And we think that's the way we have to approach God. Jesus is showing us right here in this parable. That's not how you approach God. All you need is have is a broken spirit and then come. And he's, going to, you know, he's not even going to meet you halfway. He's going to run to you. He's just waiting for that heart to turn. He's just waiting for, that, that, for you to come to yourself and say, I'm broken. I need him. And as soon as you do that, Jesus is right there. And so it paints this beautiful picture for us. In an instant, the son was completely restored. But verse 25 goes on, tells us this. Now his older brother was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. I can imagine it's been maybe months or years since there's been music or dancing. The father's heart was broken. He left his son, he gave his son the inheritance even though it wrecked him emotionally and it hurt him. And I can imagine the father not wanting to have music or dancing so the son is like something's going on here the older brother's going something's going on because I know dad's broken I've seen him I've seen, I've heard him cry at night himself to sleep and I've heard him pray and say God send back your son anything I can do to restore my son the father's heart towards the son was broken and now the older brother hears this music he knows something's up uh, he knows something's going on and it says he called one of the servants and says what's going on what, what do these things mean in verse 27 the servant said this, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother, he was angry and he refused to go in. So the father who had every right to be angry felt compassion. But now here's the older brother and he's angry and it says, why wasn't he happy? What's going on in this story? Why is he angry that the brother was back? Why is he angry that the, that the son is restored back to the father. Well, really quickly here, just if the, son, if the father gave the son his third inheritance and there's two-thirds left for the older son and the father told the, the younger brother, the younger son, when he came back, I'm gonna restore everything back to you, where's that one-third gonna come from? If he's already given him his, his, his piece, if he's already given him what he's owed, that one-third is coming from the older brother. The older brother, he's sitting back there going, no, 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 no. Uh, you're not taking what's mine. I've been good and I've been right. And he goes on to say this. Uh, in verse 28, his father came out to him. So the, the older son, it says that he didn't even come to party. He's like, he's, he's out there like, I don't know if you've, got, if you've got kids, you've seen this before. If one of your kids gets something and the other kid doesn't, or one of the kids is grounded and the other one's not, and so you get the donut or the cake or they get to watch the movie or whatever it is, and you get that one brother back there just... Rawr, rawr, rawr. That's not fair, and, blah, blah, blah. and my boys do it all the time. Um, and, and so, you know, and they're just like, this, it's not fair. You know, I was good three days ago, and I didn't get the donut, and now he gets a donut, and I'm grounded, and I have to eat a banana for breakfast, you know, or whatever it is. He, just like brothers, right? And that's what he's doing. He's not going to the party, he's out there with his arms crossed, and blah, 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 blah. like Yosemite Sam. You ever watch the old uh, Looney Tunes? I imagine that's what he sound like. Yeah, you know, all the. Like, you know it's whatever he's saying is not good, but you can't understand it, so it's okay. Um, And so that's what he's doing, but here's the father. What does the father do? For the younger brother, the father says he came out to meet him. The older brother, so the unrighteous, what does the father do? Goes out to meet him. The self-righteous is out there grumbling and frustrated, and what does the father do? He goes out, verse 28, his father came out and entreated him. The father goes out to him too. God loves both. He doesn't have a preference. There's not a right way or a wrong way to approach God. There's not, and he loves both, and he pursues both. And here's the father coming out to meet one of his sons in the field again. Just hours before, he was meeting one son. Now he's out there meeting the other. He could have demanded that his son attended, but instead he went out there to talk to him and pursue him. And, and it says this, verse 29. But the older, the older brother, he said this, Father, look. So, I mean, if you start off with the conversation with your dad, look. Like, that's not good. Like, I can just tell you as a, as a dad raising boys, if they come up, it's like, look, dad. Like, I tell you right now, like, I'm gonna say, back it off, change your tone, come back in five minutes, because this is not gonna go good if you start the conversation off with, look. Like, that's not how you talk to your dad. That's not respectful. One son was disrespectful, said, ask for everything. This son says, look. And he goes on and said, uh, but uh, look, for these many years I've served you, verse 29, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, this is the father back to son, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It's not about two thirds and one thirds. It's not about this part of the property or that part of the property or this many goats. He says everything. This is how much I love you. Everything that I have. Is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and he is alive, for he was lost and is now found. So the older brother's response I served, I obeyed, I never left, yet I was never celebrated. My brother got what he deserved. That's what he deserved for his actions. But we stop and we celebrate him. I, 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 and this is, remember, this is the self righteous. This is the religious people that God's talking to right here, that Jesus is talking to. I think sometimes in church world, um, I've seen this happen with people who we're talking about this label of Christian, that they've actually been frustrated when people get saved. Like, and I've seen it before, and I, it's, I know it doesn't happen here, and it's not going to happen at our church, but I've seen it happen before when they're like, I, shouldn't they do something else before they just get up and start serving? Like, I know part of their story. And like, is there not some requirement before they like sit closer to the front or like, should we not keep them off to the side somewhere and make them go through some sort of rituals or trainings or something to really know that they're actually back? And this is what the older brother's going. It's like, he's been back for an hour and you're throwing him a party. What if he just takes the robe and the ring and sells it and goes back out? Like, we don't know. Maybe he's in a, some sort of attic now and now he's going to take what we give him and sell it and be gone. Like, why would you restore him that instantly? And this, he didn't want to celebrate Repentance. And, and he ju- wants to judge it instead. And, and this is his, he even says these words. He says, I've been here and I've been serving. And he's been out there doing this. And this is what he's saying is I'm he was comparing himself. This is, uh, this is my life compared to his life. The older brother's saying, I've been good and he's been wayward. And so we get this picture uh, that the older brother, other brother didn't understand this. And this is key. And if you take notes, this is, I think this is so good. Obedience is a response to grace, not a requirement for grace. Obedience is a response to grace, not a requirement for grace. The older brother's saying, I've been good, I've obeyed. Does that not give me grace? Does that not give me a calf? Like I've been serving, I've been I've been doing all the right things. I've been going to church, I've been tithing, I've been doing it all right. Does that not get me a fattened calf? And he had the wrong perspective. Obedience doesn't get you grace. It's what we do when we've been given grace. Then we obey, but he was doing it to try to get grace. Again, this sounds a lot like the younger brother. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I'm gonna obey you and I'm gonna do these things that you ask, but it's not because I actually want a relationship with you. It's not because I actually understand your heart and I actually understand your goals and your mission and your, your vision and why we're here. I just, I'm i obeying because I want what you have. And, and religious people can do that. Religious people can, can come and we can say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live the life, I'm gonna do the duty, I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna pray, but it's all an effort to get something that we can't, that we can't earn, which is God's grace. So the younger brother, we paint two pictures here. I think I've got this here. The younger brother was unrighteous. He was wayward, moral relativity, open-minded, disobedient, and lost. The older brother, self-righteous. He was close to the father. Moral conformity, which which just simply means this, good people are in and bad people are out. So obedience, that's how I'm going to get my salvation. So the, the younger brother says moral relativity, which is this idea that I define what's right and wrong, which makes him lost. And the, good, the other brother, older brother says, if I'm good, then I'm in. Well, that's still not how it works. He's still lost. He was judgmental. He was obedient, but lost. You see these two pictures here? You can do a lot of things right and still be lost. You can do a lot of things wrong and be lost. But the father comes out to the field for both. And the father approaches both. So Psalms 51 says this. Have mercy on me, this is David, who's praying a prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, my sins, my failures. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then verse 16, this is, this is, that's the younger brother. He's saying, I, I'm, I've sinned, I've failed, I've made mistakes. This is where I'm at. And then the older brother right here, verse 16 for you will not delight in sacrifice. You mean if I obey, that's not enough? If I'm here and I serve and I do the right thing, that's not enough? Or, would, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. Like I've, I've done everything you've asked me to do, Dad, and you're not, you're not having a party for me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you won't despise that. If we come before God saying, God, we're sinners. I failed, I'm not good enough. I need you, God says, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a certain amount of things right before you get in. I'm looking for someone that says, I've done so many things wrong, I don't deserve to be in. And, and, well, it's, 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 an, it's an approach, it's an attitude, it's a posture that says, Jesus, I need you. Not Jesus, I've earned this. So the younger brother, it was his sin that kept him from the father, from Jesus. The older brother, it was his goodness that kept him from the father. That kept him from Jesus. You see that? The younger brother was a sin. The older brother, it was his goodness. This story goes on to verse 33. And if you're looking at your Bible, there's not a verse 33, it ends right there. But in verse 33, why is there no verse 33? Why do we just have this conversation with Jesus and the older brother, or the father and the older brother saying, hey, this is what's happening? And I'm excited, and your, your, your brother was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. Why do we not see what the older brother did? Like we don't get the picture of the older brother coming in. We don't know how he responded. And I think that's on purpose. I think Jesus did this masterfully because he left that up for the audience to decide. He set the story. He said, I wanna make it very clear. You can be very lost. You can be a sinner. You can be far from me. But if you repent, you're in. That's all it takes. You can be very righteous and you can do a lot of things good. But what are you gonna do? will you will you can you see yourself and can you put yourself in the same shoes of this guy and say i'm a sinner i still need you you see we know the father's response towards his children we only have to decide what's our response going to be towards him we know the father's going to meet us in the field whether you're religious or self-righteous or unrighteous whether you got a past that's a mile long and you, you know the the whole like santa's list you know he's got a list he's checking it twice like Santa's gonna be there for a while if he's looking at your list. Like, you know, maybe your pastor, you can look back and go, man, I got a lot of things I've messed up. Or maybe you're going, hey, I've been in church a long time and I've been living a pretty good life. Both of those people can be lost. Both those people can be without God. But we know this, that the heavens rejoice when one who is lost is found. So maybe today you're the prodigal son, you're far from God. Maybe today you're going, hey, John, I'm a long ways off. Like, I, 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 I need to run to the Father And I need him to run to me because I've got a lot of things that I need to be forgiven of. And I would encourage you to do what the the prodigal son, the young brother did, which is to repent from your sins and embrace his love. Maybe today you're the older brother. You're close to God, but you're not actually with him. You've been working hard to do what's right and to get what God promises. And God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. And so you've been doing those things, but not because you delight in knowing him because you want what's in his hand. And so maybe today you need to repent for your work and embrace his work, what he did on the cross for you. Because there's nothing that we can do to earn his grace only because he's good, only because he loves us, only because he cares that we have a way to approach him. And so for some of us today, maybe we need to repent of our work and say, God, I've been trying to earn something I can't earn, I need you. I need the work you did on the cross because I can never live up to it. And so today I wanna, I just wanna, I ask you to close your eyes and I'm gonna pray over us this morning. I wanna kind of leave you in this thought before we pray and this is just a closing statement for you. God cannot love you more. Just think about this. God cannot love you more and nothing could cause him to love you less. God cannot love you more and nothing could cause him to love you less today. God, today there's so many of us here that, that when we look at our lives, we've got a laundry list of things that we've done. And when we approach you, the Father, we know we're so far off and we know we need your grace. We know we know we need you because we can look at our lives and go, we're broken. We're a mess. I hit rock bottom and I need a Savior to lift me out. And for those of you in the room, if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. If that's you, I just want to pray for you right now. God, I pray for those who are, who've hit rock bottom. God, those who who recognize they're they're like the young brother. They've gone and they've done their own thing in their own way. And today they've recognized, I need Jesus. I need to be rescued. And I I know because I heard this story, all I've got to do is turn towards him and repent and he's gonna run towards me. God, I pray right now, you just wrap your arms around them and let them know that you love them. And there's nothing that they've done that could cause you to love them less because you are a good, good father. And for those of us in the room today, maybe you've been trying to earn your grace. Maybe you felt like maybe at some point in your life you've repented, but the last few years, the last few weeks, maybe the last few months, you've been just trying to live your life. And this is honestly where I'm at a lot of times, where I'm just trying to please God. And I'm hoping that if I do do what God's asked me to do, then he'll do good things for me. And that's not all at all the exchange God wants. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to, to recognize your need for him and just to live in that relationship, knowing him, not just wanting the things of him. So for God, those of us who are in the room like that today, God, we just repent. We repent for our efforts, our work, the things that we've tried to do to earn you. And God, we just ask today that you just have a real relationship with us. Be real with us today. God, we need to know you. We need to, to experience you. And we need to embrace the love of the Father. God, thank you for coming out to the fields for us. Even us as self-righteous people, people who feel like we've done pretty good, God, that you still would love us enough to come out to us and say, I love you, come on in. God, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, thank you for these people. God, thank you that you love us and that you're willing to pursue us. God, just like the 99 and that you leave the 99 and go for the one. God, this morning there's maybe someone here that feels like the one and we thank you that you're pursuing us and that you love us. And God, we just pray right now, God, that we would choose you. If today you're in the room and I like to do this every time I preach and you don't know God and you say, hey, I would like to, This this is my first step. I'm a prodigal and I'm coming after God. Or maybe you're righteous and you you realize I've never really had a real relationship with God. I've just been trying to do what he says so I can get what's in his hands. If that's you and you say, I wanna start today with a real relationship with Jesus, if you just raise your hand, I just wanna pray with you right now. If you're in the room and you say, that's me, I just wanna pray with you where you're at. Everyone just repeat this prayer after me, all of us together. Say, dear God, thank you for your son that you sent to this earth to forgive us of our sins. The sacrifice that he made makes us right with you. So we say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We receive it this morning. Thank you for embracing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for looking for us. And thank you for running towards us.